covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in as we finally bring you a podcast talking about games that matter. The season is underway. We record this late Sunday night. And as we sit right now, the Brewers, having taken three of four from the Cardinals, have a record of three and one. And how about the way the Brewers won each of the three games? The Lorenzo Kane catch was the final play on opening day. The Josh Hader immaculate inning winning on Saturday and the walk-off hit from Christian Yelich on Sunday. That's some pretty exciting finishes for Brewers baseball on the opening weekend. We'll talk about that and more as we continue on with the program. But as always, we'll take care of our housekeeping items here at the top. If you do listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking or review, that would be much appreciated. And if you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air. M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. DMs are open, so you can always get in contact with me that way. Uh, You don't have to follow me, although I appreciate everybody who does follow me. So if you don't follow me and want to send me follow my way, it is always appreciated. Coming up on the program this week, our featured guest is going to be Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball, one of our very normal guests here on the program. Normal in the sense that he comes on the program a lot. I guess he's a, he's a pretty normal guy as well, as far as uh, as far as I know. I feel like I know Brad pretty well, and I would say he's a normal guy. So normal that he's on the show a lot, and normal is that he seems like a, a fairly normal human being. So he's going to be with us coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to have our social media conversation and our down on the farm. A lot of times we'll do that with Brad. He's the, uh, the dual threat that we can do both of those segments uh, with him. I uh, want to hit on a couple things before we uh, get rolling here. I guess we are rolling, but just as I start the program, let's hit on a couple things. Uh, first off, Christian Yelich, first weekend. Uh, we're running out of adjectives to describe the things that he is doing. Uh, he has joined Willie Mays, Mark McGuire, Nelson Cruz, Chris Davis, and Trevor Story as the only players who have hit home runs in each of the first four games of the season. And I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, if he hits one on Monday against the Cincinnati Reds, he'll become the first player to have one in five straight games. Uh, He is the first reigning MVP to have a home run in each of the first three games following an MVP season, and now that's up to four, so he's setting records there as well. It's incredible what he's doing. And when you look at on Sunday, for example, the home run he hit in the first inning, that thing was uh, that was chin high on him. I mean, there that was not a hittable pitch, and he knocked the thing out of there, hitting it 408 feet, having it leave the bat at 107 miles per hour. That's incredible. And even the hit that he had to win the game, that was a pretty good pitch. He had to go get that pitch, and he did. And it's just it's really special what he is doing right now, the walk-off hit on Sunday. That was actually his first career walk-off hit with the Brewers. He had a walk-off against the Cubs, but if you remember, that was that deal where uh, the ball went over to Bryant in third, and they were able to record an out. They tried to get a double play, so that technically wasn't a hit. That was a fielder's choice because an out was recorded. So the 
the walk-off hit on Sunday was actually his first walk-off hit as a member of the Milwaukee Brewers. Really, really special stuff going on right there. Got to mention Josh Hader. Uh, we alluded to the immaculate inning earlier. Man, this guy right now, he's just he's unhittable. And you know, as as teams see him more and more as the season goes along, generally hitters catch up a little bit. But that being said, right now what Josh Hader's doing. It's tough to imagine anybody hitting him. It's it's so much fun to watch. And seeing seeing those two guys do their thing, Yelich and Hader, is really cool. And one last thing, we're going to talk about this with uh, Brad Ford a little bit more later on. This kind of exploded on social media, and if you're not a social media type, you might not even realize this. There's been a lot of clamoring about the Brewers potentially signing Craig Kimbrell. And there seem to be two schools of thought on this. There's one school of thought that, yeah, it'd be great to go get Craig Kimbrell, but here's a guy who turned down a qualifying offer of close to $18 million. Here's a guy who wants a multi-year deal, uh, a number that's been out there is a, you know, a five-, six-year deal north of $100 million. It's a lot of money. And there's there's the school of thought out there where people are saying, well, look at all the money that is coming into all these teams and, you know, the TV money and the revenue sharing and, and just everything that's going on. Of course, the Brewers have that money. Of course, the Brewers can add 17, 18, 19 million dollars to uh, their to their payroll this year. That shouldn't be a problem at all. And then there's other people out there who are saying the Brewers are, are, are stretched right now. They're spending more money than they've really ever spent before. And they want to have a little bit of wiggle room to possibly make some moves at the deadline if need be, adding upwards of $20 million, whether it's 16, 17, 18, 19, whatever it might be, is just something that's not in the cards for the team as it sits right now. If you're looking for me to have a strong opinion on one direction or the other, you're not going to get it. And this is one of those areas, and I think if you've listened to this podcast very often, I'm a, I, I tend to be a pro-player kind of individual. I heard the story this past week about how general managers, how there's this uh, wrestling, you know, this replica wrestling belt that has been given out at uh, off-season meetings to the team that does the best job of keeping salaries down in arbitration, and no matter how much you know of a joke that is compared to how serious it is, that's just a that's a really bad look, and I don't think it's right, and I, I, I think it's wrong. I don't I don't like that at all. It bothers me, and I don't like the fact that the middle class for baseball players is kind of being kicked to the curb. That if you're not a star player, there's a lot of teams out there that would just rather take a club-controlled player who's making hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe isn't as good as you but cost a lot less and just put them on a roster, especially for teams that are not really contending. That bothers me. I don't think that's right. I, I want to see baseball players have the opportunity to make good money when they finally get that opportunity to be a free agent. So I think when it comes down to that sort of thing, I'm somebody who, who sides with players more often than not. Uh, all that being said, I don't know what the Brewers' books look like. Mark Atanasio knows. David Stearns knows. Now we can sit here and we can say, look at how much money is being brought in through 
baseball advanced media and through the TV contracts and through all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we, we can do that, but we really don't know at the end of the day what the books look like. And I'm not trying to give anybody a free pass, but I think I think the Brewers have proven over the last couple of years that while the industry trend is to not spend money, they're willing to spend money. And I don't think we should forget that they are in a smaller market where spending gobs and gobs of money is tougher. Now, it's made easier for all those reasons that I mentioned earlier. And and I'm not trying to run away from it. And I'm not sitting here saying that the Brewers do not have the money to sign Craig Kimbrell. They might, but they might not. And that that's one of the things that as if you're on Twitter and if you follow a lot of Brewers Twitter folks and you saw kind of the the whole argument started with a piece that Tom Hodricord of the Journal Sentinel wrote where he kind of compared the Brewers finances to personal finances and we don't know that's that's what I'm trying to say more than anything else we don't know we don't know what the Brewers books look like we don't know if they really could bring on that kind of money or if they couldn't. And I think anybody trying to make an assumption without knowing for sure, and you know what, Tom might know. That That's the other side of this. Uh, Tom, his sources are as good as anybody's with the Brewers. And maybe he has been told unequivocally without any ifs, ands, or buts that the Brewers do not have that money to spend this year on Craig Kimbrell. I do know that as an owner, and I think this is a good thing, as an owner, Mark Atanasio has been willing at times before to stretch the payroll beyond what the plan was. And that might have been the case already a couple times this offseason. They may not have been expecting to spend the money that they spent on Yasmani Grandal. They might not have been expecting to spend the money that they spent on Mike Moustakis. So things can even change. We could be sitting here right now saying the Brewers do not have money for Craig Kimbrell. Period. Full stop. They don't have it. And David Stearns talks with Kimbrell's folks, and they come to some sort of deal, and Stearns goes to Atanasio and says, look, here's the deal. We can have Craig Kimbrell at this number. I know that's pushing it further than you wanted to push it. How do you feel? And he could he could turn. He could change. So none of us really know. That That's my bottom line here. None of us really know. Anybody who makes any assumption about the money that the club has to spend, I think is incorrect unless you do know something. I don't know anything. I'll, I'll say I, I don't know what the books look like. They don't show them to me. I don't get a PDF at the beginning of the season with a full financial rundown of the Milwaukee Brewers as an organization. And with all due respect to everybody else in the media and everybody else, I don't think anybody else does either. So we can all we can sit here and make an assumption. We can, uh, we can guess. We can look and say, hey, the Brewers have already stretched their uh, payroll out further than they ever have before, so there's no way they're going to add another $18, $19 million. I think that statement makes a lot of sense. I, think, I don't think there's anything crazy about saying that. But I think it's also easy to say, look at all the money that's going into all the individual baseball teams. Yeah, they've got that money. They can do that. And I don't think that's a crazy thing either. So I just talked five minutes, and basically I have zero opinion on what's going on in terms of uh, maybe stretching out that payroll and going after a Craig Kimbrell.
All right, here's what we've got coming up on the program today. Brad Ford's going to join us here in just a moment. But first, let's get to this week's headlines of the week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. Headlines of the Week. The week started with some not-so-great news. Corey Knable done for the season. He has a partially torn UCL, something that we had previously known about, and we knew that a final decision would be made this past week after he spoke with a number of different doctors. Basically, he could have tried to rehab the elbow. Rehab would have taken months, and there was no guarantee that after rehab, he was going to be back to where he was before. So kind of the worst-case scenario with the rehab would have been you go through a couple, two, three months of rehab, and nothing happens, and you still have to get Tommy John. And then not only are you missing all of this season, you're essentially missing all of next season. Best case scenario for that is you get back to where you've been, but you still have the partially torn UCL, so this is something that could rear its ugly head once again. So he elects for Tommy John, would expect to see Corey Knable back at some point next year. I would be personally surprised to see him back right at the beginning of the season. Uh, but throwing during spring training, working his way back in. You know, the the timeline for Tommy John surgery, very often it's a year till you're really back. But it, it can be 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 months until you regain your original form. You know, there's, a, there's kind of a two-step process, getting back and then getting back to where you were before. So it's going to be a process for Corey Knebel. We'll, we'll see him in, in, all, in all likelihood at some point next season, but it is absolutely going to be a process for him. Mentioned Christian Yelich in our uh, opening segment and just all the things he's doing, hitting a home run in each of the first four games of the season, joining Willie Mays, Mark McGuire, Nelson Cruz, Chris Davis, and Trevor Story as the only players to have done that. Uh, his eight RBIs through the team's first four games tied for the second most in franchise history. Brewers opening up against the Cardinals, dating back to last season. Yelich now has homered in five straight games against St. Louis. That ties the longest streak by any player against St. Louis, dating back to uh, 1908. So he's just doing just doing crazy things right now. While Josh Hader doing crazy things as well. He had the immaculate inning in Saturday night's contest when he throws nine pitches, all strikes, all on fastballs to get three strikeouts to pick up his second save. So some pretty special stuff going on right there with uh, with Josh Hayden. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, is powered by WTMJ Mobile. Very happy to welcome on to the program a guy from uh, Brew Crew Ball. He is Brad Ford. You can follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Always enjoy having Brad on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm on the podcast, and baseball actually matters now. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, can't complain. I um, we we spend so much time with you doing minor league stuff, and I always enjoy talking to you. 
at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, and in the offseason because we talk a little bit more big league stuff. And we're talking on Sunday night after the Brewers just got done taking three out of four from St. Louis, including uh, a fantastic walk-off win on Sunday. Uh, Christian Yelich has a home run in each of the first four games of the year. First time a Brewers player has ever done that. First time a reigning MVP has ever done that. I mean, this is a pretty solid first four days of the regular season. Uh, It's really stunning. You know, I expected this group to come out and be spectacular. Um, but I kind of thought the Cardinal series would be a little bit more difficult. And it, I mean, it was a hard fought battle the entire time. Uh, the victories were close. The losses were big. Um, but just the way the team has been able to rebound has been spectacular. Um, the offense is, you know, at least some of the players are already raring hot. Um, I didn't expect Yelich to kind of pick up where he left off from last year, especially in the regular season. I know he got a little cold in the postseason regarding um, how well he was playing heading into it. But for him to continue to be the player that he was from basically July on is not something I think anyone could reasonably have expected. And so far, for through or through four games, he's been that and maybe even more. Um he is on a tremendous streak, and uh, he is obviously carrying the team. Um, and like some of the other performances have been great. I mean, Lorenzo Cain's been very solid. Mike Moustakis has been fantastic. Uh, it was also nice today that they finally got uh, a non-home run or non-sack <laughs> fly score out of the way. Uh, but it was very interesting. Um, and yeah, really exciting. Uh, I mean, just to see the glimpse of talent that this team has from the pitcher performances to what the offense is capable of doing and how quickly they're able to kind of spark runs. If you aren't excited for the other 158 games, you are not paying close enough attention. I, I thought just you look at Christian Yelich's day, and, and I said this on the postgame show, to me it was almost like kind of like a three-act play. Because you have his first at bat and he hits the home run. You know, you're going to go after him in that situation. And then the next three at bats, they walk him every single time, including a time they bring in Miller. And you think they're bringing in Miller just to, to really go after him, and, and nothing happens there. It's a walk. And then in the ninth inning, they didn't have, I, I guess, technically they had a choice. They could have walked him to load the bases with nobody out, but I don't think very many people would think that's a good idea. So they're, they're basically forced to have to face him, and he comes through in the biggest of ways. It was really kind of fun to watch the way his day went along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just especially they have that situation where he hits the fourth home run. And like you said, they finally decide like, OK, we're done pitching to this guy. Like we're done giving him the opportunity to beat us. We're going to make everyone else on the team beats beat us. And then they get to a situation where that's the last like the last thing they want to do is have a basis loaded situation where scoring the runs becomes even easier. So the options are pitch to him and. I mean, you have got him out before. Maybe you can do it this time. Um, and it works out fantastically for the Brewers. Um, he just seems to be there when you need him right now. And I, it's amazing how it already made the Cardinals afraid to have that type of presence. And, I mean, the Brewers had to face that in their own right with Paul Goldschmidt. But to already have that presence early on in the season where you, you're making other teams afraid to face you, 
and you're four games into the season is amazing. I'm not trying to sit here and do a post-game show from, from Sunday's game, but when you look at the four games, I feel like the Sunday game is the most important because uh, a lot of things happened that were notable, and it gave the Brewers the uh, – the with the win, the Brewers took three out of four, and that's the key storyline to the series. So a couple other things. We saw on Saturday them use the relief pitchers that we kind of expect to be – the high leverage guys this year, namely Hader, but Guerra, Claudio, Wilson, you, you just get the sense that those are the guys they trust right now in the bullpen, and that's a very there's a lot of moving parts right now in terms of the bullpen, but then on Sunday, you see a couple guys who are, are not exactly the favorites of Brewer fans, a couple guys who had some issues uh, last year in Matt Albers and Jacob Barnes, and without those guys going out and pitching well, the Brewers don't win that game, so I also thought it was a pretty solid development to see Barnes and Albers, again, just one game, just one appearance, but really important to see those guys go out and have some success and be a big part of a win. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for Brewers fans to remember how great Matt Albers was before he had his injury last year. Uh, he was an important player in the bullpen in the first couple months of the season. Um, and I feel like that's really easy to forget that he, because his second half was so miserable that it really impacted what he did in April, March, in March, April, and May. But during that time, I mean, the guy threw 25 innings. He only allowed three earned runs and he struck out 21 he was next to unhittable uh was able to like really keep the brewers in games and high leverage situations then he gets injured comes back and he has just the worst june july and august which is of course what lost everyone's faith but a lot of that was him dealing with his injury now that he's healthy i think he can be a guy you can really rely on uh, Taylor Williams was also primarily a guy who the team relied on heavily before they required or acquired uh, Soria and and really started mixing him into the mix in terms of like the back end. Um, but he is someone where if he's taking the next step, if he's following like the regular progression, he should be a very important cog to the back end. Yeah, he ended last season with a 4-2-5 ERA, but for the first half or so, he was really a dependable reliever in that bullpen who was the seventh and sixth inning guy, especially when Corey Knable was down or perhaps less reliable than the team was hoping he would be. Um, so those are guys who can really take a, a large leap and or, I mean, Barnes has the talent already to be an important cog. Uh, Williams, if he continues progressing, I mean, that was really his first full season in the big leagues last year. So um, it makes sense that in July and August, he got a little tired and, you know, struggled a little bit more than we ideally would have liked. He still only allowed six home runs in all of his appearances, and he had quite a few. Um, and then Jacob Barnes, of course, he, there's nothing really nice to say about the year he had. He had a couple really great high leverage things. But Barnes is so talented. You look at his pitching, you look at his movement and his ability. Um, there's a reason a lot of guys have had a lot of expectations for him. And everyone's just hoping that comes to fruition. Uh, he's one of those guys where like any year can be the year. And sometimes it takes bullpen pitchers a little bit longer. That's why a lot of times you don't see him until 27, 28 until they get into the big leagues and then they're dominant. So, yeah, it's a little later for him. But hopefully he's the guy making that step this year. And I think that's why you see the Brewers saying, like, hey, we're really comfortable with what we have because the talent level alone, not necessarily the performance level, but the talent they have is tremendous. Um, 
And these are the guys we're going to need to count on until Jeffress gets back or, or until they make another addition. Uh, there was a kind of a Brewers Twitter explosion on Saturday night because there was a there was a piece in the Journal Sentinel written by Tom Hodricourt where Tom basically says the Brewers don't have the money to be able to go spend on a Craig Kimbrell. And then there's a lot of people on the Brewers Twitter side of things that say, yeah, they do. Uh, to me, I, I, I'm not trying to play the middle, but I'm going to. I, I do think a signing Craig Kimbrell, I do think adding 16, 17, 18 million dollars to your payroll is going to stretch the payroll more than they expected to stretch it and more than maybe they were planning on and maybe even more than they can. That's That, that could be part of it. Uh, but I also don't completely discount the fact that they might be able to afford them. And there's a lot of money in baseball and the revenue sharing and the TV money and everything. Like there's a ton of there's a ton of money going around. I give the Brewers a ton of credit for the amount of money they have spent. I feel like in a in a world of baseball right now where it seems like every single team is trying to limit how much money they spend, not that the Brewers are just throwing money around, but I think they spend a respectable amount of money, and I do think they've stretched their payroll. So I, I guess I say I'm in the middle. Like I, I see both sides, and I think there's some some legitimacy to both sides as well. But where do you stand on kind of the idea of the Brewers being legit players for Craig Kimbrell knowing that that would add 16, 17, 18, 19 million dollars to this year's payroll. So I was one of the people who was giving Tom a rather hard time about his statement. A lot of that stems from, um, and here's a quote from him, before the Brewers, this is December 10th, where Tom says, someone familiar with what the Indians are looking for in a deal for Corey Kluber tells me Brewers could satisfy their needs. I'm just not sure how Brewers would squeeze a Kluber's $17 million salary into their budget. Seems to me they'd have to deal another salary away. And then in parentheses, he says, Thames with a question mark. Um, That was $24 million ago. Tom has been claiming poor $24 million ago on behalf of the Brewers. So I think as fans, when you hear him say that, then you hear him come out and say, you know, perhaps the Brewers don't have enough money to do this. It's harder to buy into that when he already has a history of being wrong. Tom's a a great reporter with sources that I could only dream of having. Um, I think he has good connections to the team and is probably hearing these things from good people. Um, However, it's undeniable that the teams are making a record revenue. Uh, I mean, the Brewers had a phenomenal season last year after also having um, several seasons where they weren't spending a lot while still making a good chunk of money and still having fans show up to the stadium, still making money from those TV deals, still making money from market sharing. while I agree that, like, yeah, they're spending money more than ever, it's fantastic. I don't think they're being cheap. I don't accuse them of being cheap. I think it's obvious David and Mark have put every step forward that they need to to improve this team. Um, I think it's kind of insulting to a lot of people's intelligence to claim that, like, the money's just not there or that this is just not how you budget things, especially when you look at Yasmani and Mustakas are coming off the books next year. Um, assuming they don't pick up their mutual options, which almost never happens as we have experienced before. Um, you have a couple other key players coming off the books next year in Thames and Chase Anderson. 
Um, where I think if David Stearns wanted to, uh, the hardest thing is getting Scott Boris to play along. You could leverage the money into a multi-year deal and actually just backload it and say like, all right, Craig, you know, look at our money. We can make this work, but we can't make it work for right now. Um, obviously, Craig Kimbrell's being very picky about the deal he takes and he wants to take the deal that he wants and his agent wants. Um, and he happens to hurt, work with one of the most finicky agents in baseball who is going to make sure that Craig waits until he gets something that he's at least moderately happy with um, and that the agent's moderately happy with. Uh, but to, I think the Brewers can make room if they feel it's a necessary thing. I think that Mark has shown that tenacity and that need to kind of overspend. Um, I think based on the revenue figures we do know about it's in every person or every team can spend up to the luxury tax but they just choose not to because the, i mean there's a lot of owners on a team and when you invest in a team to be an owner you're investing to make a profit and it's you want to make those owners happy you want to keep them committed to the team and part of that comes by making sure they're making money off their investment um, so I think it, a lot of it comes down to how much money can they st spend to still make a profit and make a profit that's going to keep people ha happy. And that's something no one knows. So I'm not sure if it's fair to say, uh, like the only people who know are Mark, David, and like the accounting staff, Rick Schlesinger, um, the people who are managing the books. I think those are the only people. And based on like their spending so far, if we assume they were coming into this season with no money, and then they spend $24 million, obviously they have money somewhere. And obviously it's an early depiction that we don't have the full story. So it's unfair for any of us to assume where their budget is at. Absolutely. And I think that for me, that's the bottom line here because either side could be correct. We don't have the books in front of us. Uh, we the Really the only information we know is the amount of money that gets distributed basically across baseball teams. And we also know that the Brewers are spending more on payroll this year than they have before. Uh, outside of that, there there's a very good chance that, yeah, they could afford them. And there's also a chance that it just isn't going to work. And like you said, uh, Mark Atanasio, David Stearns, uh, th those are the guys who know where the budget is and what they can uh, what they can spend on. And I, I it's... It was an interesting argument for me, and maybe argument's the wrong word, discussion. It, it was interesting to me because there was a lot of people talking about stuff where nobody had all the information and there was just a lot of assumptions going on. And I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be kind of fun to play out. I do know that uh, I would – I think they're going to at least give this bullpen an opportunity to see what kind of roles everybody falls into and everything before maybe they jump. Yeah, and I think the hardest thing from a fan perspective is you look at the loss of Corey Knavel, and Craig Kimbrell is almost a better version of Corey Knavel. Uh, he had some uh, drops in his ability last year that uh, Fangraphs did a great article on. I think when you look at it, like the drops aren't as significant as the, uh, a lot of people might presume from that. Like, oh, uh, hit hitters hit him harder but it only resulted in a 300 slugging percentage and that was like a, a difficult thing for or that's like one of the better lines that hitters have had against craig but it's still only a 300 slugging percentage um 
So I think people look at the loss of Corey and they see a very direct replacement slash upgrade. And I think that's where it becomes hard. Uh, we all know how important the bullpen was. Um, and we know the like key piece it played. But like you said, I don't think it hurts the Brewers any, especially now that they're three and one to kind of just play things by ear and hopefully see if Jeffress can come back quickly because the Brewers did very well without Corey last year when yeah. Jeffress and Hayter were manning the back end of the bullpen. And if you get in every other day where Hayter comes in, does an inning or two and handles that, and then Jeffress does the day after, you have a good rotation, I think, um, with equally reliable guys shoring up the other innings. Um, so I think it stands to reason, and they're probably being reasonable enough where they're waiting to kind of see what they're where they're actually at and waiting kind of benefits them in some regard uh the other cost that they might not be willing to pay is if you sign a guy like Kakel or kimbrell you are losing a draft pick and the brewers have already lost two draft picks this season they traded one for alex claudio and they lost the other when they signed grandal um and while those might not be the most important draft picks that's still losing towards your signing bonus which is what helps you sign those players that David Stern's and team have been really great at jumping on in terms of, you know, guys who slip and adding a little bit of an extra signing bonus to make sure you get those guys. Um, excuse me. They've also had a great success in getting guys in the third and fourth round. I mean, you look at players like Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, those were two guys who came in later rounds. Um, so you, having that draft flexibility is something that's really benefited them. Uh, and having those picks at those positions are an area where the team has done very well at, and it's kind of hard to give up on that at this juncture. Um, so if they can wait a little bit and no one else is signing Craig Kimbrell, what's the harm in waiting in him if it, if it helps you save on money later in one way or another? It might not directly reflect on your budget, but going towards what you can do to build up a farm system that has been extremely weakened in the last couple of seasons. All right, last thing before we get to some minor league stuff. It's not fair to Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta that they're going to be lumped in together as the young starters all season, but that's the way it's going to work. So I'm going to ask you right now, what's the initial uh, feeling about those middle three guys in the rotation uh, as they went through their first turn each? Um, I really like Brandon Woodruff's potential to be um, a story across baseball this year. I think he's the guy who can be the star of the three this season. Um, and he is, I mean, he's major league ready. He's ready to go out there and deal with the challenges of a regular season. He can, you know, get the strikeouts. He can get the ground balls when he needs them. He's a pretty advanced pitcher for his age, and I think the postseason did him a lot of favors last year in preparing him. Um, I think he is ready to take the next step to being, like I said, just a story across baseball as a guy who's kind of a shining light. Uh, Corbin Burns, I think, showed you all in one game how his season's going to go. While having a dominant performance where he struck out, got his first nine outs via strikeout, or I think first, was it 10 outs via strikeout, uh, he also, you know, gave up a few home runs, missed his spots a couple times, um, got himself into trouble. 
And I think that's kind of how the season's going to go for Corbin. I think he has a very bright future ahead. Uh, but And as a third season, that's not too bad. Or as a third starter, that's not too bad. As a guy who, you know, is going to dominate some games and struggle just a little, but keep you enough in the game that you can come back. Um, I think that's kind of how Corbin's going to go. Uh, and Peralta, he is, I think he's going to be very similar to what he was last year. Some games he's going to give up like eight runs and leave in the third. Other games, he's going to go six innings, strike out 15, and leave without a score on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, he is just an exciting guy who has, I think, the highest ceiling of the three. I think it's very important for him to start working in more of his secondary offerings and stop focusing on the fastball so much. Obviously, the fastball is the key cog to everything he does. Um, but a lot of scouts thought his changeup had a lot of promise, so I think continuing to work on that and then his curveball is fantastic, and you saw how important it was to helping him get out of some trouble situations in his first start, where he, when he finally started throwing it, he was helping keep hitters off balance. I think him throwing it earlier and a little bit more often, I'm not saying exceptionally more often, but he only threw, he, I think he threw 75% of fastball, or his pitches for, were fastballs last season, 20% were curveballs, and 5% were changeups. I think if you get more to a 70-20-10 or 70-25-5 type situation, you're looking at a place where he can have more success, especially if he starts getting confidence in his curveball to mix it in and keep hitters off balance. But this is going to be a big learning year for Peralta that's going to set him up for his potential and where he can actually be on the major league roster. Um, He has that superstar ability. And he just he needs time to work the kinks out, but but I think the team feels that he Triple A is not going to help him get much better. You might as well let him do it at the big league level, uh, where he has more assistance and a better way to judge his ability, um, and just better support altogether. So I'm I'm very excited about all three. Again, I think Woodruff's going to be the big one who stands out all season. And uh, Peralta is probably going to be the one that makes a lot of people pull their hair out. And I think they all showed everything I just said in those three games that happened this series. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a pretty solid rundown. He is Brad Ford. You can read him over a Brew Crew ball. He's not going anywhere, though. We're going to do some uh, minor league stuff here in just a moment. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile as we do continue on with uh, Brad Ford as we get into our down on the farm. Here's what we're doing. So we're going to talk to Brad a lot during the season and we're going to go really in-depth on a lot of the minor league stuff. Minor league seasons are beginning on Thursday for the full season clubs. Triple-A San Antonio, that's still weird to say, playing at Oklahoma City. Double-A Biloxi will be at home against Birmingham. Uh, Carolina will be at Down East, and Wisconsin will begin the season uh, at Beloit. Again, those games are all coming up this Thursday, April 4th. What we're going to do with Brad is we're going to do one thing to watch for every full season club. And as we talk on Sunday night, we kind of have an idea of what the rosters are going to look like, but the uh, entirety of what the exact rosters and you know some of these teams maybe have more players than what you're going to have as far as on the active roster when the season gets started. So we, we have most details, not all details at this point in time. But, Brad, let's jump right in. What's your one thing to watch for AAA San Antonio? 
Uh, the cop out answer is. Are you gonna Kestin say Hero? Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I think to give people a little bit more satisfaction out of it, because Kestin Hero has been talked about so often, so repeatedly, so frequently over the last four or five months, I'll say Zach Brown. Uh, an injury is going to happen to the pitching situation at some point. That is undeniable. Pitchers get injured. Zach Brown is probably the first piece to come up and serve in that Brandon Woodruff type role in terms of someone who will need to come up and be very important. So watching his development and making sure he has an easy transition from a stupendous double A season last year to a very solid triple A season is very important for this team right now. Um, we saw how important pitcher movement was last year, especially the way Stearns operated his 40-man roster and kind of kept pitchers rotating, coming up, coming down. Um, I think at some point, Zach Brown will be that piece and he will be crucial to the future because of that. All right. Is it weird for you saying AAA San Antonio? Uh, I got adjusted to it pretty quickly. Um, but I was also, unlike you, I was a little less sentimental about Colorado Springs because yes. you actually had time there as an employee, as a radio, uh, you know, play caller, and you know, had connections to the team. For me, like I was so I knew the end of days was coming, so I think mentally I switched over more quickly. Yeah, I was just talking about this with somebody. So I'll I'll say that I don't think I've ever said this publicly before, but I, now that the AAA baseball has moved out of uh, Colorado Springs. I when when I was there four years ago. This is, I'm going to my this is my fourth year now uh, in Milwaukee. Uh, so I guess five years ago uh, when I was still in Colorado Springs, I saw the writing on the wall that AAA baseball was going to be exiting Colorado Springs. It actually lasted there a couple years longer than I expected, and that was part of my motivation for trying to find a new job and what helped lead to... Uh, I was very motivated to get out of there because as a broadcaster, I didn't want AAA baseball to leave, and all of a sudden I'm kind of out on an island uh, not knowing where it was going to go. So, uh, But yeah, it's a, I knew AAA baseball was going to be gone from Colorado Springs. It lasted a little bit longer than I expected it to, but I am still a little sad having spent uh, six years in Colorado Springs. Of course, the uh, city is still in the organization, but just as a short season club that will start later in the year. Let's jump. Double A Biloxi, what's your one thing to watch? Um, so my other thing to watch in terms of pitcher development is uh, that I'm watching very closely, and this is the only other pitcher I'm watching closely, is Braden Webb, who I fully expect to start at Double uh, A Biloxi. He had a little time there last year, I think he is the pitcher who's going to make that big jump that we've seen from Zach Brown, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, that college pitcher who around double A all of a sudden becomes a star of the system and really jumps into prominence. He has a profile that I think can be very successful. Um, and I think we see him at triple A at some point, but he's going to start at Biloxi and I'm expecting very, very good numbers from him during his appearance there. All right, we'll jump to a high A Carolina. Your one thing to watch. Uh, so this time, another player, uh, but Tristan Lutz. Um, Tristan Lutz had a kind of rough go to the start of it. I expect him to be at Carolina uh, immediately. And he, you know, after he got going in Wisconsin, was phenomenal. Carolina's a tougher park to hit in, but uh, he might have one of the highest ceilings in the entire system for offensive players. 
is an uh, incredible talent, uh, not counting Keston Hero, but he's probably has the second highest ceiling behind Keston in my opinion. Um, he's incredible talent with tremendous power. Of course, Carolina is known for sapping power and being harder to hit him. Uh, my hope is that he continues his progression. You might see an initial bump like he had last year at Wisconsin, where you know he struggles for the first month or two. But then I expect him to really get going, have a very successful season. Uh, but both Biloxi and Carolina are kind of lacking in prospect talent. And, you know, due to the recent trades, um, you, you're really going to have to focus in on individual players in terms of what's happening at each level there. All right, last one, Wisconsin. What's your one thing to watch? Wisconsin, I expect, is going to be a really, really fun team this year. Uh, I'm going to watch, be paying attention to Wisconsin as a representation of the future of the system. I expect Bryce Terang's going to be there, perhaps Javon Ward. Um, you're looking at um, a few other potential superstars. So Wisconsin is probably one of the teams I'm watching most closely and watching the development of guys with the potential to be superstars uh, and, and or big trade pieces later on down the road. They have are probably going to be the most talented team across the entire system. Um, and the star power is really there. So I think just watching all the young guys, seeing how they develop because if the farm system is going to be good again, it's going to be reliant on their development. And Wisconsin's going to have a lot of players there who are very important to that. Take me through what uh, you guys are doing over at uh, Brew Crew Ball right now and also once the minor league season gets started coming up on uh, Thursday. So once the minor league season gets started, I, of course, do my daily recap with a couple of video highlights. So you can we'll watch all the top players across the minor league system once play gets underway. Uh, we follow all the top prospects according to MLB Pipeline and then the top performers at each level, kind of giving you a synopsis so you don't have to go through every box score yourself, keep it in one reliable location. And then we'll also do weekly updates on total performance every Sunday, so you can kind of see how people are performing across the season in one quick glimpse. Um, and then, of course, we always have great analysis. Uh, we're continuing to look at like the effect that at potential deals like getting Craig Kimbrell will have. We're covering every game, um, every bit of news that comes out as we still seem to be in hot stove season for some per reason. Um, so yeah, just follow us. We always have great content. Great stuff. Also, uh, encourage people to follow you on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Brad Ford joining us on the program. Appreciate him taking some time with us, and we'll have him back on again real soon, especially to talk about all the minor league stuff that we normally do uh, with Brad. Let's look ahead to the week that is going to be coming up for the Brewers. After taking three of four from St. Louis, they get set to hit the road for the first time this year. Monday, April 1st, they are going to open up a three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds. That's going to be a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series. Monday and Tuesday. The games are scheduled to start at 5.40 Central Time, and then on Wednesday, that game will get going at 11.35. Thursday is a day off, and the next weekend is the first Cubs series of the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They will take on the Cubs 7.10, 6.10, and 1.10 respectively, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Don't forget, you can listen to all the action of Brewers Baseball on WTMJ Radio, and I've got the post-game show uh, following almost all the games. We do not do the 
the uh, extended Brewers Extra Innings postgame show after weekday day games. So, for example, this uh, Wednesday when they play the Reds at 11.35 in the morning, we will not have the uh, Brewers Extra Innings show after that. But all the rest of the games during the week, uh, we absolutely will. If you are outside of the Milwaukee area, you can always stream the postgame show at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Now, just a reminder for you, the Brewers Network broadcast, Bob Eucher, Jeff Levering, Lane Grindle, uh, what's on before my postgame show, that cannot be streamed. Uh, so the Major League Baseball has the digital rights to the actual game broadcast. So if you go to WTMJ.com in the middle of a Brewers game and go to the online stream, it's not going to be available if you live outside of uh, Wisconsin and you're trying to get those radio broadcasts. There's options with the uh, MLB Game Day audio and the uh, MLB.tv stuff that you can uh, find at MLB.com. However, we do stream Brewers Extra Innings, so when you're done uh, listening to that, you can head to WTMJ.com, and as soon as the network broadcast wraps up, the stream comes back up, and we have uh, extra innings for you. So I encourage you to uh, listen. Always enjoy hearing from folks who listen to the postgame show. That is going to do it. Uh, my thanks to Brad Ford for uh, joining us as always. Look forward to talking to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.